Welcome to a Fresh Story podcast. This season, we're digging into all things divorce. We'll be discussing the ins, the outs, the nitty gritty, all that stuff we don't talk about. Well, we're going to talk about it. Join us for everything you've always wanted to know about divorce, but we're afraid to ask. Remember, you're not alone. Let's dive into divorce together. Olivia here. With all life experiences we encounter, often what actually empowers us the most is hearing about other people's stories, their personal successes and triumphs. Simply put, how did they survive this thing? Because if they could do it, I can too, right? 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 Okay, so let's flash back for a moment to the fall of 2019. I was newly separated from my husband. We had just begun working with a mediator during the divorce process. After I'd put the kids to bed at night, I'd flop on my couch and turn on Jane the Virgin. One night as I was watching the show, a familiar name flashed on the screen, Dara Resnick. Dara, a screenwriter, producer, and award-winning director, worked on Jane the Virgin. And in my depressed stupor, I reached for my phone and shot a text out. You see, Dara wasn't just a writer and producer of Jane the Virgin. Dara was an old friend. An old friend who had gone through a divorce. I'd known Dara my entire life, and though we hadn't spoken in some time, I sent a text along the lines of, I'm getting divorced and no one knows yet. Immediately, a text came back that said, call me day or night, you're not alone. Not only had Dara been divorced and a single mom, but her divorce also was a huge fresh start for her career, as her husband had been her writing partner. Dara has since been a rock for me as I healed, and as she found love again, a major inspiration for me as well. We got the chance to sit down with Dara and talk about how she weathered the storm of divorce and single parenthood with humor, pride, and integrity. If you're listening to this episode and going through a divorce, please know that you are not alone. And if Dara and I can do it, you can too. Okay, here's Dara. Dara Resnick is a screenwriter, producer, and award-winning director. Dara has been involved in the writing and producing of television series such as Pushing Daisies, Castle, Mistresses, Jane the Virgin, Marvel's Daredevil, and Shooter. She is the co-creator and showrunner of Apple TV's Home Before Dark. Dara is a single mom and lives in Los Angeles with her daughter. She also participated in the LA Marathon and is involved in, is it I-K-A-R or I-C-A-R? Icar, a Los Angeles-based progressive Jewish congregation. And all of those things are wonderful, but to us, Dara is the big girl at the pool who gets <laughs> us who gets us chips and is the big sister. So yeah, who lets Dara... us take gets gives us piggyback rides. Yeah, Dara, Dara has known us our whole lives. I think probably since 19. Actually, our, we were telling our mom about this episode. She goes, I remember when Elise was pregnant with Sammy. So, you know, long time. Quite literally our whole lives. Quite literally our whole lives. We grew up together. We are like, we say like we're faux cousins. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we are thrilled. Dara and her sister Sam um, are like our sister cousins. And so 
We're just thrilled to have this beautiful person here today with us. So thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule of doing all the things you do to talk to us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and I'm so excited for what you guys are doing. I think it's providing like really great information and comfort to, you know, people like me who didn't have this, you know, when I I began my fresh start. And how are you doing today? Pretty good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't you think that like, even when I ran through like my life and like checked all the boxes post fresh start. And like, even when you do all of that, and like we were talking before the podcast started about like, you look at your Wikipedia and you're like, whoa, I did some things. (laughs) I I like to tell my students, I love to teach on the side. And I tell my students, it doesn't matter how successful you are. Like that does not fill the void. Mm -hmm. Um, And so mostly I'm great. And sometimes this shit sticks with you. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Perfect segue, which is why don't you take us back to the beginning of your fresh start story? So, um, I did two things at the same time when I had my fresh start, I blew up my writing partnership and my marriage simultaneously. Um, I met my ex-husband when we were in film school, first day of film school at USC, uh, the class of 03 from the Peter Stark producing program. Um, and we sold our thesis script together, which became wow. a movie called Sydney White starring Amanda Bynes. Yeah, we all know movie. Yeah, yeah. Because like you're one of like you know, you're, I think you're probably right in like the teeny tiny target of like the <laughs> you right know all your work. My yeah. ex fiance loved that movie. <laughs> really connected with it for some reason I mean like it's also like a little revenge of the nerds but like it was targeted to like a very specific tween audience and we we were successful really quickly out of film school Mm -hmm. and there's something very sexy about like my ex-husband's very handsome he's Mm -hmm. like tall and broad you know he's part Mexican dark skin Mm -hmm. um like really charming and together we were like a sort of a powerhouse of like the mid aughts and we were like selling scripts all over town and getting these great jobs. And there wasn't, we didn't ask each other, I think any of the questions that people should ask each other before they get married of like, what are your goals? What are your ethics? What are your, Mm. like, it's, I actually think in some ways my, you guys know my parents. Well, my parents kept drilling into me like Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. And I like struggled with the whole, like the fact that he wasn't Jewish thing. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I was wrestling with that and eventually sort of came to terms with he's not going to be, and we're going to raise our kid Jewish and that's fine. And she is. Um, But like more than that, I should have been asking like, what do you want in life? And like, do we, there are all these common things that, you know, we weren't talking about. Um, and, but we were very successful. And then when we were on the show castle, um, I realized I was miserable. Um, I had like, again, goes back to racing through life and checking boxes, like everything, like made a movie was like a high level writer on a very successful show, making money, right. owning a house, two adorable dogs, a really cute baby. Um, like the picture, like our family pictures looked amazing and everything that was happening behind the scenes was really dysfunctional. And, uh, that actually started to eventually creep into some of the work. Um, mm. you know, the, definitely there were people on that staff who were like, the way they're talking to each other is not mm. particularly kind. And we ultimately ended up sort of splitting off on that show into like one of us would be running the room, the writer's room, and one of us would be on set. Mm -hmm. And 
got a lot of, I got a lot of encouragement. I think I, like many women had this sort of imposter syndrome. I mean, people have imposter syndrome, but I think women have yeah. it really deeply. Um, and, uh, Marta Kaufman talks about that in her Humanitas Award speech. If you ever want to look up like someone who's like wildly successful and still talks about mm-hmm. yeah. syndrome. Um, and, uh, all these producers were like, you're really good at this. You could do this on your own. And that made me think, cause I had until that point been like, I, like, even if I wanted to break up this marriage, how would I even go about to like, how do I have a career on my own? Because everybody tells you when you're in a partnership, like just a writing partnership, forget about being married to your right. partner that you have to start all over again. And sometimes one person's successful and the other person isn't. Mm-hmm. And I spent, uh, we secretly separated. So we were coming in every day for the, sec- the second season we were on Castle, which was season seven. We were coming in every day and pretending to be married and pretending to be married on Twitter and pretending we were married, but we were living in separate places and like doing therapy and like trying to figure out functionally not together, very functionally, not together, very functionally like co-parenting. Yeah. Your your daughter was very little, very little. She, when I moved out, she was two years and three quarters. And we can talk about that. Uh, That was a whole thing. Yeah. Um, but we were going in every day to work and being like, we're adorable and married. And then like going to our separate places at night. That's by the way, that's the show you should write. <laughs> yeah. I would watch that and show. I, I started to, um, to write a pilot that I haven't been able to quite crack called, uh, consciously uncoupled. Um, that's sort of what that it's like the, it's the happy fun version of it. Obviously it yeah. was not all happiness and fun it was like it'll be a great sitcom well it's like it's like the Fran Drescher one like happily divorced or whatever which was about her divorce which I'm Mm -hmm. sure was a little bit more difficult than what she would like us to think on screen totally totally yeah Yeah. and and, you know we will we'll talk kindly about uh my ex-husband and all that because he's my my daughter's father during this podcast but it's not and we do co-parent I will say like genuinely we co-parent more functionally than many 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 people I know um but like it it's been a lot it's a lot of work to get there like we we go still to family therapy whenever something flares up because it's like no I'm not I'm not re-entering this dynamic that was like dysfunctional and in our relationship I need like a third party to like help parse out yeah. what needs to happen so that we're doing what's best for our kid. So in any case, during that whole year, I, I wrote uh, on my own. It was the first time I had ever written, not ever. It was the first time since like my early twenties that I right. had written things on my own. And I was teaching, which was also part of what I, my therapist liked to call my individuating. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2015, I filed officially for divorce and um, you know, the, the sort of way it all went down too, in terms of like the, the actual fresh start. So we had this house together and, um, he, I basically had said to him, here are things that like are my, I was learning boundaries. You guys know my parents. I love them very much. There were no boundaries in my home growing up. I don't think any Jewish Jewish families from New York. I mean, it's just like the bathroom. There were no boundaries. You couldn't, we had to run. We're on the go. Come on. People are chasing us. Let's go. Let's go get out of the bathroom. Like totally, totally. (laughs) So it's like, yeah. So I I was learning about boundaries and I was like, okay, here are the things that are not okay with me anymore. Like no more screaming, no more throwing, no more, you know, like the list was long. Here are the things that are not happening. And when those things were still sometimes flaring up, 
uh, he was sort of, I think, tired of me, like constantly like on him about these things. And so he actually started to look into a post-divorce, a, a, a separation apartment situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of was like thinking about it and then backing out and thinking about it. And then I ended up just taking the apartment that mm. he had ended up finding because I was like, well, look, like you found it. Like there's no real argument here because you had already, he had already worked out the finances and whatever. I sort of felt like in a lot of ways, I don't know. I ended up in that apartment for five years. Mm-hmm. It had cut cheese ceilings and wooden fans. And like, I mean, it was like a relic of like early nineties LA architecture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I did not expect to end up there for five years, Yeah, uh, I, which I did mostly to like create stability for Orly and make sure she had like yeah. a place that was just like stable or at least yeah. my daughter. Um, but, uh, I knew that it was a place where we wouldn't have to argue. And I was, I was really tired of fighting, Yeah, you know? Yeah. I have so many questions and I've forgotten them. Um, what was it like when you guys separated and like, you're pretending to be married and then you're coming back into castle, was it easier to be kind to each other and to sort of create, like get back to that original, like, was it, you know, was it a better workplace environment once that was aired out? Yeah. I mean, it was certainly, I think it was mentally healthier for both of us to get a little bit of space Yeah, right? because we'd been so intertwined for 24 hours a day, seven yeah. days a week for literally since we met basically. Yeah. But I do think that that was really important. I also think writing together as frustrating as that sometimes was reminded us of like why we fell in love to yeah. start with. Literally I was in the car with Orly yesterday talking about um because she was talking about travel and she's gonna some places she's gonna go with her dad and I said you know dad and I used to travel a lot she said really I said yeah we went to Argentina and we went to Ireland and we went to England we went to Portugal we went to China and she said really she's like wow that's a lot I said you know I really loved your dad I said I don't want you to think that like I got I married your dad and didn't love him I said and I still care about him as your father I said but like I was deeply in love with him and I I said Mm -hmm. I also want you to know that because I want you to know that just because at some point if you love someone and then you realize that you don't anymore that doesn't mean that you didn't love them when you started yeah yeah Um, that's really important for them to know mm -hmm. I think it's especially important for the kids to you know I'm curious to hear obviously Olivia how you press all that with your kids but like I think especially because she I'm in my first relationship since Mm -hmm. Like my first real serious relationship since the divorce, it's been almost eight months and it's like really lovely and it's healthy and it's wonderful. It took eight and a half years to get there. Mm -hmm. She hasn't seen her mom in a relationship, like a loving relationship. And I, I I think it's important to talk about those things because like at some point she will hopefully find a partner of her own Mm -hmm. or, or many partners of her own whenever she wants. And I want her to like have some of these ideas, even if she hasn't seen them in action. I agree with you. I do the same thing, Dara. Like I, I, you know, think that there's, there's so much to talk about with that because I feel like people get so black and white about it. Right. So it's like, Oh, it's their father. But you know what? I'm the same way. Like I show the wedding pictures. I'm like, we, you know, I even just the other day, I did the same thing. We drove past the place, the restaurant here in Huntington that I had my first date with him. And I was like, Hey, Wyatt, that's where your dad and I had our first date. Like I talk about how much I appreciate his music and all the Mm -hmm. things, right? Because that's who they are. 
Yeah. Right. And like when, and I've always felt very strongly about this, that when you are separated or divorced or whatever, your children are going to like really wonder where they come from. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you put down the other person, you're putting down your kids. Yeah. And so I just, I love that. And I think it's, and like you said, to teach them that love does not always have to mean till death do us part and you can love people and you can respect them. And um, so I, I, I love all of that. So what was it like going now that was probably the first time you lived alone right it was funny that you say that yeah it actually was because I uh I had you know had not only lived alone had my own room really wow. I um I had lived with in I shared a room with my sister growing up mm-hmm. and then went to college and then went came out here and went to grad school I guess I had my own room for like one year in grad school and then after that right. we moved in and then yeah it was my first time living alone and it was god I will say this as difficult as those years were I mean you guys this I'm glad child services was never called on me because <laughs> I, I we were also we were doing this thing have you guys read the book Fred stays with me no, it's, no. A, it's a really good post of work for anybody who's. Okay, I'm going to write it down. I'm actually working on a blog post about this right now for kids. Oh, so it's that's great. What, okay. So it's for, it's for young ones. And, um, and it's, you know, my mom is here. My dad lives. Here. It's going to make me cry, but Fred stays with me and okay. Fred, is, Fred is the dog. And oh. so we were doing this thing where the consistency was, even though my lawyer said, separate the dog, separate the, I was like, this is not what's like, it might be what's best for you legally. It's right. not what's for my child right so the dog was going back and forth at the time with with Orly and the nanny was going back and forth with mm-hmm. Orly. um so at least she had that and like I'd wake up in the morning on the second floor of this like crappy apartment and be like I have to let the dog out but my daughter's either asleep or whatever I had to teach her like don't touch the door when I, if mom's not in the house it's because mom went downstairs to let the dog be do not touch the door not so you, the, the problem too was it was one of these like again so crazy 90s architecture it was like kind of one of those um like a business apartment kind of style mm-hmm. and so the the handles because of fire hazards had to open from the inside no matter what even if it was locked but you could tell if someone had tried from the inside to open it so i would lock the door go downstairs let the dog pee run back upstairs leaving my not even 3 year old daughter alone in the apartment. And uh, one time I came back up and the door was unlocked and I said, did you touch the doorknob? And she goes, no. <laughs> I know you touched the doorknob. I know everything you do. All the time. No matter what, don't ever do that again. It's very dangerous. It's just like, okay. Um, and eventually she was old enough to sort of come on walks with me and stuff. But like as crazy as those years were, it was really freeing and liberating and beautiful. And like, we used to fight about like dumb stuff, like, uh, you know, me buying like brand name Perrier at the market. And I would like go across the street to the market and buy just like six bottles of Perrier rebelliously, like throw them in my my refrigerator. It was like the silliest thing, but it felt great. It's liberation. It's liberation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I love that story because I think that I, you know, I try often to look at single parenting, especially single mothering through other people's eyes. Mm -hmm. And I think that people still don't really understand it. Maybe we need to write a show about this era because I think people don't get, so there's a physicality about single mothering and I have a story like that too, where I was home. So why it was just Orly's age when I separated too, he was just three. And he used to 
nap at the same time I would have to get Weston from the bus and now the bus was just on the street we were in suburbia on a cul-de-sac so I would literally have to leave him in the house right but I would step outside just on our lawn on our front lawn watch down the street to make sure Weston could get off the bus and come up the sidewalk right because I had nobody else and one day Wyatt wakes up and I'm on the lawn and he comes outside, little three-year-old puts his shoes on and comes outside. To this day, he's still traumatized by that moment. <laughs> and I'm like, he's like, remember when you left me alone in the house? To, and I'm like, I, I was on the lawn. So like, you know, I think people don't realize there's a there's an intense physicality about single parenting. I mean, you can't get packages delivered because you can't pull them into the house by yourself. You can't lift your kid up having a tantrum. Like, And there's so, also this fear of like, and if I act out and the kid tells the parent or does yep. the or if I do the thing, if I yep. walk away for a minute, I could lose my kid. I could lose yeah. my kid. Is oh, like my God. Always the thing. Yeah. yeah, totally. And you are going through. Look, look, I people know this. I, I tweet about this like. I have depression and like I was going through my own actual mental health struggles at the time and I didn't have the right medication yet. And I, you know, so like, yeah. And there are things that in theory your exes can use against mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. I mean, fortunately I will say that there were like very few instances early on where there were, was some of that. And I, I called him like early on at one point I said, okay, look, we can play it this way if you want to. Um, but my, you guys know, my dad is the lawyer. <laughs> my, my dad put, uh, like on a, on retainer, like one of the fanciest lawyers in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And, and I was like, or my father, and if we do that, my father will pay every cent in his bank account to make sure that I'm protected, which I know is not something that you want to get involved in. I yeah. don't think it's what's best for our kid. Like, I think we're both going to yeah. need coverage from, we're both going to have separate writing and producing careers, which means you're going to be writing and producing right. episodes. I'm going to be writing and producing episodes. We're going to need coverage from each other. We're going to need help from each other. Sometimes like, this is just not the way to go. And yeah. um, fortunately he heard it. And, and in particularly when it comes to like, Hey, I need a hand on whatever. It's a place where we've co-parented, I would say most beautifully, which I think is partially a function of when we were writing together we had this sort of constant, like, you write this script, you write this script, then we'll swap. It was always like this sort of organic dance of like, I'm working on this, you're working on this, we'll trade the thing. And then it's now instead of trading off scripts, we, we trade off our kid. But it, I, I tell people, you know, that when they're getting divorced, it takes a Herculean kind of strength that like you didn't know you could even access. And I, I agree with you. It means, I mean that physically. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it is so much physical. Like the the kid is here, the groceries. I mean, yeah, I was just thinking about this because I was thinking about writing about it the other day. The strength it takes to, while you're cut down to your core, take your child and get to safety, right? Yeah. You, nothing else. And this is why, like, when people, when I say to people, like, well, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and people are like, that's just big ideas. Fucking, I can do anything I want. I've done that, right? Like, anything else in the world is mine because I got through that moment, yeah. right? Like the actual, like, and because in, in our primal bodies, we were getting to shore, right? Like we had to like get our child to safety and obviously it wasn't the same right situation, but that's how it feels. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. When, when you were going through all of that and you had your apartment, what was your support system around you? Like, <laughs> um, my sister was amazing. My sister actually, the, the, 
the weekend that I like got the keys, I still remember the date I got the keys. August 29, 2014 was the day that I got the keys to the new apartment and like needed to figure out what the fuck I was going to do and how I was going to outfit that apartment. And uh, fortunately I had taken the teaching job. So like that was money that was just mine that like, Mm. because we were writing together, everything was split. And so it was a constant like Mm. spending one on what, and it was like, this was just, so I knew I had like $5,000 to outfit an entire apartment and also got some like, you know, leftover furniture and lamps and stuff from other people. Um, and, uh, in fact, there's a chest of drawers over here. That's from, that was in my closet in my old apartment. Um, I love that. So like I had friends, but I actually ended up gifting a lot of my friends to him because they were really important to him. And I was like, Mm. this is going to be painful to like try to navigate my old couple's life. Um, so like a lot of my friends, I kind of said, I'm really sorry, but it was not my kindest moment, but I was like, I'm really sorry. I love you guys. But like, I told him he could have you. So that's what's going to happen. Um, my sister came out to help me build furniture and like dragged me by the collar around. I, I was like a space cadet being dragged through Ikea being like, you needed this, you needed this, you needed this, you needed this. Um, my parents came out for one weekend uh, and that was it. It was really mostly, I mean, I didn't, as you guys know, I don't really have family out here. Yeah. Um, and I had this lovely nanny who is still in my life. I had, a, I've had a success. I mean, that that's another thing that could make me cry is I, there's this nanny that we had hired. Her name's Kara Feller. She now lives in Canada with her beautiful husband on a horse farm, which I think was a very smart idea for her. <laughs> um, and, uh, she had gone to AMDA, the Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts or something. And, um, she just fell in love with Orly and, I, you know, when we started to get divorced, I was like, look, I will find a way to keep you in the country. She's Canadian. Mm. I, I paid for her visa. I paid for an apartment in my building. I feel like I was like, I will pay for literally, it was one of those, like, I can throw money at this. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. don't care. Like I, I don't care what my savings ultimately looks like. Right. The, the money doesn't matter. My kids' mental health matters yeah. and yeah. need the stability of this lovely, loving nanny. And then when Kara ended up going back to Canada about a year and a half later, she, found another friend of hers who from Amda, whose name was Hallie, who lives in New Mexico. We saw her recently. Um, and then Hallie gifted us a woman named Sarah Klingenpeel, who was our nanny until the pandemic. And then she, you know, had to figure out what she was going to do with her life in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And now we don't have a nanny, which is a whole, she doesn't really, she's 11. She doesn't need one. And on yeah. the other hand, this has been really hard to do this without yeah. a person. That succession of, I, we had a, um, a zoom during the pandemic with me orly and the three women who <laughs> oh, me her. and it was like so beautiful it was i i just couldn't have been more expressive about how grateful yeah. i am to them kara before she left gave me a, a framed poster that says females are strong as hell and i still keep it in my bedroom i get it i really get it we have our emily who we love and i keep saying emily's a nurse but um, I keep saying my first 
paycheck that we get in from Fresh Starts, I'm going to retire her from nursing and um, make her come live with us. Because you need somebody to like be there and like take care of you, especially when you're a single mom, like you need a wife, basically. Yeah. And like that function of a wife. And so like the nanny becomes that like Olivia is going to have Emily. I mean, I get her that. I, I so I so get it. And it's, you know, when you lose your partner, you lose all the memories of the your child's life with them. Right. I can't call my ex-husband and go, remember when Wyatt was born? Remember like the moment we shared? You lose all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you have somebody that loves your children, whether it's your sister or whether it's your nanny, you get somebody else to share those memories with. And again, that's something I think people don't realize. Like it's very isolating and lonely mentally to be a single mom. I will say one thing that Chad and I do well is send each other when like Apple sends us, you know, our memories of the day or whatever. If it's a, if it's a picture of her from when she was really little from a memory that we shared, we will send it to each other and say, remember when. I love that. And, and, you know, I, as much as sometimes that's hard, I also think it's important for both of us to like visually remember that this is a thing that we did together, that we are still for better or for worse at this working on that project. Yeah. We're still (laughs) working on that project together. Um, The part I find harder is when things happen now. I mean, now Mm -hmm. actually what's really nice is having this boyfriend who also has kids. Right. And so one of the beautiful part, I've never dated anybody with kids before. And I think it's one of the reasons that this was working is like, there's an understanding. We each put our children first. We've yeah. been yeah. a lot for our children and for those co-parenting relationships. And, you know, now I do call him and say, I had this exciting day with Orly or whatever, but for eight years yeah. would happen. And yeah, sometimes the nanny's the person you share with, sometimes your sister, but really you're experiencing raising your child completely alone. Yeah. Sometimes it's beautiful. Sometimes it's like, oh my God, look what I did. But sometimes it's like, is this normal? Is this okay? This was a beautiful moment. I wish I could look at somebody and like share it with. It's it's really hard. I'm I'm curious too, because I don't talk to so many single moms. Do you feel like Orly and you have a more like adult relationship than like, because I feel like I talk to my boys like grown up people. Oh yeah. No, it's actually really funny. She had um, parent teacher conferences yesterday um and the teacher who I adore uh was like you know or at least sits at the front of the class and I love talking to her <laughs> and I said and I said yeah you know she comes from she's the product of two single parents and like she's really used to talking to and spending time with adults and I yeah. so think navigating this difficult co-parenting situation I mean she I, I'll tell you the the one of the more beautiful stories about the fresh start but I, I think navigating the co-parenting situation has made her also, I think she's born this way, incredibly emotionally astute and empathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she works on that and I try my best to nurture it. Um, the cra- one of the crazier stories about my fresh start was so like I I said my sister came out, we like painted the, you know, the the how well, someone else painted it. We oversaw Good. someone else painting the apartment. Because <laughs> Olivia and I painted her house and we got a Don't lot of paint it. on the floors. No, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> I actually thought about it and then was like, I can't really be in IKEA. Like this, no, we have no, that. It's a bad so idea. We hired someone, we ate pizza in the empty apartment, we got everything set up. And then did what the therapist said to do, even though she was two, which is like, you're going to have two places now. And like, you're going to, and, but it was all set up. Her room there was set up before she got there along with some familiar toys and familiar stuff. She goes to sleep. We wake up in the morning. The sun is streaming. I remember the very first morning, 
sleep sun is streaming through the windows there's still some boxes my internet was being glitchy I couldn't she asked for I think she wanted to see Sophia the first she was on a Sophia the first kick and remember two years and three quarters and I, I'm getting frustrated and I go, sweetie, I can't, I can't get that to work. Can we just watch something on the iPad? And she looks up at me and she puts her teeny hand on my leg and she goes, you okay, mama? <laughs> and I said, I'm okay. And she goes, she nods. And, and I, and I said, you're okay too early. What would you like to watch? <laughs> and she's like that all the time, all the way through the divorce. There would be moments where she'd just like yeah. grab the sweater and go, mama, breathe. Like, <laughs> and I felt terrible because I don't want to like put that Right, yeah. kid ever. We, yeah. we try to like address that, um, but yeah, I mean, I think we're. F- I know that you. They say you shouldn't be friends with your kid, and like in a lot of ways, we're like I have a very strong parental boundary. Right. But and I've even said to her like, "Don't make me parent you. It's my <laughs> least favorite part of this." <laughs> very Lorelai. Like, do something. I'm like, please just do the thing, so I don't have to do this. Right. Um, but we do have a really close relationship and, you know, sometimes I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but sometimes like her, the other, her friends, moms, like the other kids, moms will come to me and be like, what's going on with our kids? Because, you know, they know that Orly gets in the car and most days they like, Hey mom, here's what happened today. And the other kids in fifth grade aren't doing that. I think it's, it is. And Weston and I are like that too, because you have to become partners in a way. And like, I wouldn't necessarily, I think partners is the best way I would describe it. Like you're, especially during pandemic times, right? You're alone in the house with these kids and you have to navigate. You have your own language. You have your own culture. You have your own holidays. Like you, you just kind of create this world. That's just like the, 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 you guys. And like, it's so beautiful. So I'm curious from a writer's perspective, do you see your life like a script that you're building um, you know, I always have, it, it's actually another thing that'll make me cry. I remember being pregnant with Orly, uh, in Los Angeles. I'm 33, which, you know, I was 33 when I got pregnant, which was basically in LA. I like to say like being a teen mom, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. everybody has babies like in their forties out here. And, um, and I would go to these like hippy dippy LA. I love yoga. Like I literally yesterday did two different yoga classes. I love <laughs> yoga, but I went to like a yoga, these prenatal yoga classes where these women were like, I feel so connected to my baby. And I like know exactly who they are. And, yeah. and I, like, <laughs> I feel like there's an alien growing in my body. <laughs> and, um, and I, and I, what I came to realize is the way I was doing, it, I remember, I remember saying this, I remember which friend I said it to first out loud. Um, I feel like this, I don't feel like she, she and I are one at all. I feel like I'm housing a story that's about to be born and I play her mother in the narrative of her life. And she plays my daughter in the narrative of mine. And that makes us both really, really important co-protagonists in these stories, but her narrative is her narrative and she's not one with me. So that's so interesting, just on the topic of individuation, because I think for so many moms, it's hard to individuate from their child. And from an early, early point, you are already like, that is her story and I'm in it, but it's not mine. It's not the same as my story. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super curious. Um, 
about how it felt to go through this sort of being a single issue voter when it comes to picking Chad, right? Of like, you're writing together. He's not Jewish, like this thing torturing you and then going forward anyway. Um, and having, and then getting divorced and having your parents who are still married. 50 years this <laughs> year, 50 it's years. Amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And, yeah. and from what I remember, very in love, you know? So yeah. I wonder what that felt like sort of being, getting going through a divorce that was not you know olivia we you know our parents you remember when our parents got divorced everybody's like we divorced. were you know, <laughs> right everybody's divorced in the family and so it was like a shock and olivia and i were both like wow we can really do this you can really get divorced even though we'd lived it it was still such a shock um and our dad did the same thing you know he got the lawyer the jewish dad you know that's what they do but yeah. i'm just wondering how that felt like how that felt for your narrative like what you thought like marriage was going to be going into it it and I'm curious. Look, I, I think um, a few things. One is our parents were getting married at a different time. And yeah. my parents, by the way, always say that they feel like they lucked out because at the right. end of the day, like my mom really is one of the best caretakers I've ever known. Mm -hmm. So she is a little bit meant to be a mom and a wife. And, you know, I, there are things in her life that like, I wish in some ways, because we, that she grew up in the time she grew up and I wish she'd pursued a little bit deeper yeah. We've talked about those things. She and I have a pretty close relationship still about all of that. Um, my dad wanted to be a breadwinner was a very good breadwinner, right? Like that might not have worked out that way. We all know men who've turned out not to be that guy or women yeah. who turned out not to be that woman. And so they ended up being really good partners that way. You know, my mom survived two different kinds of cancer he, you know, saw her through those things. I think they take care of each other very well. I also think, you know, I say this with love, knowing that they'll probably listen to this. You know, I think there's a certain amount of 50 year codependence that comes with that. I also think, again, not a therapized generation. My dad does see a therapist. I don't know if you'd want me to say that publicly, but here. <laughs> so does um, ours. We'll say, we'll throw that out there. So does <laughs> um, And, you know, and I, so I think, I think he does some work on himself in that yeah. way, but like, it's just a very different generation. Yeah. And um, probably more of a single issue. Like he was Jewish. He was a good breadwinner, right? Like he was earner. Handsome, like, right. ha yeah, yeah. Handsome, good head of hair. And then like, <laughs> right. He did. He always had a great head of hair. And so like, right. So like, I'm sure. Right. Whereas we're like talking about values and, and morals and what do you want to do? And what does your Saturday look like? It's, it's very more complicated, obviously. Yeah. Yes. And, and so to their credit, I mean, I actually called them pretty early in my thinking about all of this and said, like, I think I'm in trouble. Like, I think my marriage is in trouble and they couldn't have been more supportive. Like, I, I feel really, really lucky in that way that like there, there wasn't any of the thing that like some of my friends have gone through where it's like, you know, you like, try, you better make it work because like, yeah. this is an institution and this is a, my parents were yeah. like, whatever you need, yeah. um, you know, do you, uh, do you need money? Do you need help? Do you need housing? Do you need, you know, I mean, I think the, the only thing I sort of wish was, I, and because I think they don't understand that, like it goes back to the Herculean task. Sometimes I have to say to them out loud, okay, mom, dad, I'm doing both of your jobs. All of dad, I want you to imagine being as successful as you are and mm -hmm. at the height of your game while mom was also doing all the things that she was doing. I have to do both of those things at an A plus level yeah. all of the time. I'm exhausted. 
Yeah. Um, and there have been moments where I have been like, I need you to visit more and, and all yeah. of that. It's hard for them because like they have a life in New York and they really mm-hmm. don't like Los Angeles. And um, so it, I got really lucky that like the fact that they've been married for 50 years was not ever a thing that mm-hmm. they like threw in my face or expected yeah. from me. They understood all of my reasons. And I was, you know, pretty brutally honest with them about the gory details yeah. of of the divorce, at least in part too, because there were moments in the divorce where, you know, my, my ex would be like, I'm going to tell your parents about this or that. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to take all that off the table and like call them right now and tell them everything. And at one point I called him and I said, well, that shit is now out, like now off the table because I've literally told every detail I can possibly tell. So (laughs) I knew blackmail. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, what is coming up for you next? You, you do so many amazing things. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, so I just finished one of the things that is not currently in my bio. I don't think is, um, that I'm, I just finished co-show running a show called the horror of Dolores Roach, which will be coming that out. That is in your Wikipedia bio. Oh, okay. It's my <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's coming out sometime this year. I think I have to give you orally if I tell you when it's coming out, but <laughs> at some point that'll be like officially yeah. announced. Um, that was crazy. It was literally a project that took me through three years of the pandemic. Wow. Um, yeah, it was like, we sold, we sold the pitch the first week of this thing called zoom that we are now currently on that none of Mm -hmm. us had ever heard of before. Mm -hmm. Um, and then ran an online writer's room and then shot it, uh, in the summer, shot the pilot in the summer of, uh, 2021, 2020 or 2021. No, 2021, when there was still like a, yeah. a quarantine, like two week quarantine in Canada, we shot it. And then we waited on the pickup and then we shot the rest of the series over this last summer. So this was a project that took the whole pandemic and, you know, it was really, really, really hard. And I'm very grateful because it meant I was employed through yeah. a pandemic and was the boss so that I could do, you know, we were all homeschooling. You guys, we we're homeschooling our children. I know. It's like, insane. I still, I, I was, I say I have PTSD from that time. Yeah, she I, really does. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. definitely do. And it's funny because I actually think it's one of the reasons I was finally open to a relationship because I think at the time that the pandemic happened, I, I was dating and, you know, I've been dating on and off for eight years, but I sort of had this feeling of like, I don't need anybody anymore. Like i I make the money. I yeah. pay the bills. I'm raising my kid. I have this great group of new friends from eCar that like are like this wonderful scaffold and support system. And then it was like, oh wait, everything just went away. Um, yeah. and it suddenly made me open to the idea of like, oh, maybe monogamy like is a thing. That <laughs> yeah, like interested yeah. in trying again. And you know, again, I've met this lovely guy who feels really like a partner. Which is, I mean, yeah. that's the thing that's been interesting is like so. The Horror of Dolores Road, the first season ended for me. Um, and, you know, I've been looking for my next gig. I have a couple of things that none of which are like close enough to going that I can talk about. But like, you know, doing the doing the sort of like, I don't know what it's like in your end of the freelance business, mm-hmm. but there are these moments where you're like, you have a whole pool of things that you're juggling and trying to get off the ground simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whichever one of these things sticks is the thing. Yeah. That- because mm-hmm. you have to also, in addition to we're creative and we're writers and we're we're entrepreneurs, yeah. Um, we we also have to pay bills and yeah. Yeah. and so as much as 
like there are moments where I think I'm going to be 50 when Orly's out of the house. And like when I'm 50 is when I'm making like all my independent avant-garde movies and we like can't wait. All, all the I things that wait. I want to make. But right now I have to try to get a J-O-B. So, <laughs> uh, so I've been working on that and I've been like building a relationship, which is a really new thing. Um, is he Jewish? He is not. He's Japanese, <laughs> he's Japanese American. Um, it's funny because my parents said like, but where is he from? And I said, he's from here. (laughs) His family has been here longer than ours have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and so that was, that was a sort of funny part of the conversation, but, uh, yeah, he's from LA. Um, Where'd you guys meet? We met on set. Oh, nice. Um, last summer, he was the DP of the show. What are you, Jenny? I always that- tell people, like, so I worked in events for a long time, like large yeah. corporate events. Like I did, I produ- uh, helped produce BlizzCon and stuff like that. Mm. And I always tell Olivia, I'm like, union guys are where it's at. Like go find like a grip or a DP. Like they're always like really solid. I mean, not all of them, obviously, but like so many of them are like solid. They're like family guys. Like they just, yeah. they like yeah. I loved, that was the hardest part for me, um, career-wise during the pandemic was like, I miss going on site with my friends because it's not the same as a movie set, but it's very similar in a lot of ways, right? You're putting up sets, you're taking them down, technical producers, you know, you've got like wires running everywhere. And I love those guys. Like they were always really good husbands, like the ones that were married and the ones that were single. I was like, you know, right. It was right around the same time Olivia was getting single. So I was always looking out. I I always like, I shout that at the rooftops. I'm like, there's, uh, there's also so many men that work in like IATSE and stuff like that, where it's like, there's plenty of guys out there. Well, and it's, what's interesting for me too is, you know, so I'm bisexual and, and the marriage was, as you know, hard and the end of the marriage was hard. And so I mostly spent the last eight years dating women, um, which was quite lovely. And I, I, it was very, it was not triggering, which was really nice. Right. It was like, okay, like this feels different. Yeah. Um, but you know, I met this person and I, I definitely wouldn't have been open to dating a man. I don't think, um, but we were working together. And so there was this boundary of like, we're, we were getting, we were becoming very, very, very close friends. Right. We were like, we would literally like shoot until like midnight and okay. then, you know, walk around the studio until, you know, three o'clock in the morning and get three hours of sleep and then do it again. And we would walk on the weekends and walk, 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 walk. We didn't get together until like, basically like the, the second the show ended. Um, Cause I was literally his boss. Right. Um, but I'd forgotten what it was like to get to know a man for who they are. Like all of the yeah. people that I'd been set up with over the last however many years or swiped on, which is just, we could talk about swiping for however long you want. <laughs> and I can talk about what a nightmare that place yeah. is. Um, you're not supposed to make a decision about a human that quickly. No, like that's, I that's agree with you. No, no. We, we spend hours and hours and hours and hours sharing and getting to yeah. know each other's hearts. Yeah. Doing the thing that I was saying I did not do with my ex-husband where it was mm-hmm. like, what are your ethics? What are your morals? Mm-hmm. What are your perspectives? I knew by the time we started dating that this was someone whose heart I yeah. was it's, deeply in love with. I am um, getting married. And I'm moving to Scotland and I don't know if that's something, you know, so I'm sure when he and I started talking, so he lives in Scotland and when he and I started talking, 
what was I going to? Well, I did. I booked a ticket after two days to go fly to see him, but then I canceled it because my Jewish mother was like, you're going to die. And I was like, I'll take that into consideration. But I I canceled it that night. And we spent three months talking like and we he was on furlough because they were still in lockdown. And so he wasn't working. And so we would stay up. We would start talking, you know, midnight his time. We would stay up until his six in the morning just talking for three months. And so by the time I flew there in October, I was like, well, let's just like, let's see, like if this is it, like, let's make sure I am as attractive as I was when we met 11 years ago. Um, And it was the same thing. It was like, we just talked. We talked constantly. We talked on chat, all text all day. And then we would talk for hours over Skype at night and like, I think so much of it is, and and when you talk about partner, Thomas and I always call each other collaborators. That's like what we are to each other. We're collaborators. Like we, so little things like visa stuff, I'd be like, I'm getting really stressed out. And he'd be like, give it to me. Like I'm your collaborator. Like we have to do this together. And that's not an experience I'd ever had. No, I didn't know people like that existed. (laughs) So I get it. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, um, it, it makes it very, it makes it very easy to spend time with them. Yeah. Yeah. I love and, that. And that, that, you know, is not just about like intimacy and all those other things that can be really scary. Right. It's, yeah. it's not just about physical intimacy. It's yeah. about emotional intimacy, which is way scarier, really way- carries you through too. Emo- is right. It's the biggest, scariest. And it's also the most important thing. Absolutely. So yeah. Dara, if somebody's going through a fresh start, what would be some mm-hmm. wise words that you can impart to them? I mean, I would definitely talk about the Herculean strength. This is going to take a certain kind of fortitude that you did not know was in you. And that means taking really good care of yourself. That whole adage of you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on your kid is very, very real. It's very tempting to do it the other way. And sometimes you do and you suffer the consequences of that. But like, you, I remember there was like a moment where I was just not eating. I could, I like was too too stressed out. I couldn't eat. I couldn't like, you know, put anything in my body. And it was probably also some sort of protest. And my sister looked at me and said, you have a three-year-old child, eat something. And I, she was right. Like I, I needed to fuel my body. I needed to take care of my mind. I needed to do those things so that I could be a mom, the right mom for her, which was part of the reason, like you've said, for like seeking that, you know, being on that exodus journey and seeking that land of freedom is really about them in a lot of ways. And you can't be there for them if you don't take care of yourself. Yeah, so true. Um, and then the hardest question of all, what was the last thing that you ate and truly loved? Um, so the last thing I ate and truly loved is a place I order from actually pretty frequently, which is sugar fish. I think you guys have it in New York too. We know. We have a lot Maybe of our, in the city. I've never been. All but of I've our LA friends love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's by the way, I, 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 you should try it in New York. It's delightful. It's a very simple, clean menu. Um, at one point I got a notification from Postmates during the, I tried to support businesses in the pandemic that I wanted to see like survive. And mm-hmm. I was ordering sugar fish, like probably three or four times a week. And I got <laughs> a notification from Postmates that I was like, what are their number one customers? Like, oh God. Great. Um, but, but my sister came to visit last week and you know how I feel about her and how precious our time is together. Yeah. And we did what we do, which is order sugar fish and gab and watch below deck and, and text um, us. Yeah. And text you guys. And it was really, it, 
you know, food always tastes better with great company. I don't think I have ever had a meal that I loved that wasn't really about who I was spending that meal with. That's true. I love that. I love that. Well, Dara, we just adore you. And thank you for taking the time out. We could talk to you literally forever about everything. <laughs> we have so many questions. We didn't even get into I'll the entertainment industry. Okay, wonderful. Um, but thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening to today's story. We're always here and we're so proud of you. A Fresh Story is produced by Fresh Starts Registry, the first and only platform for everything you need to begin again. You can read the show notes and learn more about today's episode at afreshstory.com.